know what we should do tomorrow. Keep drinking. We'll have a bloody merry first thing. Have a bite of the king's head, couple of the little princess. We'll stagger back in. <laughs> back at the bar for chance. How's that for a slice of fried gold? I'm not bad. I'm just drawn that way. You either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. So what's your name, Icy? Stuntman Mike. Stuntman Mike's your name. You ask anybody. Hey, Warren. Who is this guy? Stuntman Mike. Again, to the good trash genre cast, where a bunch of people gather around a table and talk about the films in an academic way that you will never ever have in an academic setting like a film studies course. This week's film is a little romantic coming of age drama called The Grey. Or is it? <laughs> or is it? Or is it not? And so we will be discussing that in a few moments. But first, introductions are called for. To my left, my name is Dalton Stewart, and I have a bestseller for you. It's called Roll Fucked. <laughs> to my slight right, man, if you would. My name's Alexandra Bohannon, and no moss. Very good, very good. To my slight left across the table, sort of. I am Arthur Gordon, and I am not looting dead bodies for swag. <laughs> my name is Dustin Sells, and you're all going to be swallowing a lot of blood by the time we end this <laughs> show. Uh, yes, the movie in question is... <laughs> Liam Neeson's vehicle, I guess it's a Neeson vehicle, we would say. Yeah. yeah. The Grey. We're going to be doing what we do on this show. And let me warn you, dear listener, if you've never listened before, this is not a review show. It's an analysis show, which means there will be much spoilers. There is a stinger. We'll be talking about it. And so all of that is going to happen here in just a few moments. We're going to give you just a brief pause, a parenthesis, if you will, in which we give you a quick synopsis from The Voice of the Cinema, and then our quick thumbs up, thumbs down reviews, and then we go and do what we do. So you been warned, uh, and you know the dangers, and if you want to go into those arctic wastes and be spoiled, you take your life in your own hands. But let's begin now with a synopsis from the voice of the cinema himself, Mr. Arthur Gordon, if you would, sir. After their plane crashes in Alaska, six oil workers are led by a skilled huntsman to survival, but a pack of merciless wolves haunts their every step. So maybe not the romantic coming-of-age drama that I implied at beginning. It's, it's, it's a survival movie with wolves. So, yeah, there's that. So let's just do what we do, and let's talk quickly. Reviews, thumbs up, thumbs down, does it work? Maybe a reason. Why or why not? I ask you first, Miss Alexander Bohannon. Oh, me first. Well, hello, listener. I missed you last week. It's nice to he- talk to you again. I thought this movie works really well. 
Dalton and I <laughs> watched it together, and um, we had a great few buckets of tears to go along with this movie. That is correct. Yes, between the both of us. I thought that the setting and the acting were really great. Characters that I hated at the beginning of the movie, thinking that they were just dumb stereotypes I learned to love by the end, and, you know, even shed a tear or two for their imminent demise. And I thought the message of the movie conveyed itself really well, and of course the setting. The setting was beautiful, and it really kind of drove the future forward in a lot of ways. I mean, the location changes really kept me interested in the movie, driving the plot forward. Let's see. I thought Liam Neeson, it was fun to hear him Irish for once. Um, how often do you get to hear him that Irish? I like my Liam Neeson like I like my coffee. Irish, Irish. apparently. <laughs> Easy now, fuzzy little man Peach. Hmm? You have a drunk Baileys from a shoe? Um, overall, I thought it was extremely well done. Um, if you're prepared to feel, I think that should be the little subtitle of this movie, in the gray, prepared to feel, because that's what's going to happen when we watch it. But overall, it's fantastic, and I was, I didn't know what to expect, and I was pleasantly surprised. So I'll give it five full buckets of tears out of 10.5. Very, very good. Thank you so much. Uh, Mr. Dalton Stewart, what is your quick review? Well, it was my host pick, and it was my number one film of 2012, so obviously I like it a lot. Why do I like it? It is so beautiful. So beautiful. It's paced so well uh, for an action thriller. It's both bleak and inspirational. Yes. Uh, it's, a, it's a tough movie about tough guys doing tough shit. Um, it's it is the most emotionally engaging action film I think I've seen in a long time. That really just like says, "Hey, this is about your life. Pay attention. This is going to be important." Um, one thing I kept thinking about: there's a line in Batman Begins, starring not Irish Liam Neeson, um, where he's training quasi-American Christian Bale um, in the ways of the ninja, and he says to him, "Your training is nothing." The will is everything. And we see uh, Neeson's character, Otway, really experience that in this film in a big way. Uh, because he is trained for this, but that is not what is relevant here. It is the will. The will to continue. His will to keep walking through this tundric wasteland uh, and to convince these men to stick together. Uh, that is what is everything. Uh, and I love this film. I really do. Um, a lot. I like it a lot. I like it a lot. I, if anything, I hope this podcast gets more people to watch this film. Because everyone knows it as Liam Neeson Punches Wolves, the movie. And that is not what this film is about. It's, and, that's so interesting you said that. I had a friend Facebook message me today after telling him this is what we watched. And he goes... Wait, so isn't that Liam Neeson punches wolves? Yeah. And I can't get my girlfriend to watch that. I yeah. don't think she'd like it. And like, no, you guys would be yeah. crying all over each other. There's there's a lot of Liam Neeson and versus wolves jokes when you talk about this movie, and they're all incorrect. Uh, watch the gray. <clears throat> that is all. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Your quick thumbs up, thumbs down. Does it work or not? Thumbs up. It's a it's a movie I enjoy. 
Uh, it's a very intense thriller. It has great performances from a bunch of, oh yeah, that guy, character actors. Uh, I love Liam Neeson here. I've loved the career resurgence in the last few years, and I think he's just fun uh, anywhere he is, Irish or not. Um, one of my favorite things about The Grey is the cinematography and the look of it. Mm-hmm. It is a beautiful movie, and Masanobu Takayanagi, uh, who also shot Warrior and Silver Lines Playbook, uh, does a great job of capturing the stark landscape and makes it look so wonderfully desperate and bleak. It's, it's a, I think it's a very good movie. Excellent. Thank you, Arthur. And I would also say some of the same things. I really do love the cinematography. It's really quite beautiful. Uh, the lighting is what's brilliant uh, about the film, and they do catch the bleakness and also the warmness of those scenes with uh, Neeson and his wife. And so those are all um, very, very, very wonderful scenes. Uh, the actors are all very, very strong. Neeson is great. Yeah. In the film, uh, he's just fantastic yeah. to watch. Uh, the, the thing I guess I would say uh, about it, you know, it's massively entertaining. Massively entertaining. You're connected to the characters. It's intense. You don't let go. The thing is that that troubled me watching it is that it's terribly cynical. It's it's a it's a to my mind a terribly terribly cynical film, uh, in, as far as its worldview and its understanding of life. And I think that is misapplied. And so as far as taste goes, that's not my flavor. And that's why I love it. Because I think it's about being uplifted in the face of cynicism. Yeah, well, we'll talk more about that, I think. I suspect we will. Uh, but what, I, what I'll say is this. I, I really do enjoy it quite a lot, but it, it is massively entertaining. It's, it's, I would like to see more blockbusters that are more thoughtful, that have more heart, uh, as this one does. Uh, this That would be a good thing for cinema in general. But generally, there's this... There, there's sort of an ideological bent in it that I find a little off-putting. But other than that, I really, really like it a whole lot. But let's move on. And let's do what we do. It's time to bring some analysis to this movie. And we're very excited to do that. And I ask you, Mr. Arthur Gordon, what analysis bring you? <clears throat> I want to think about the gray in this manner. Uh, the bleak Alaska landscape where these seven men crash uh, is symbolic of Otway's mental state. It is a movie about a man dealing with grief and having to go through this situation. It is important to note that Otway wants to kill himself. He doesn't see life worth living anymore since the loss of his wife. Uh, he is, as his letter uh, states, without purpose. Um, it is at this point, after opting out of suicide early in the film, that the plane crash lands, uh, symbolizing this emotional... I don't know that it crash lands. Well, crashes. As much it? as it just crashes. Six one we haven't done the other. Okay. It crashes... Uh, symbolizing his emotional and mental breakdown, uh, dropping him into this bleak Alaskan wilderness, uh, becoming symbolic of the emptiness and cold uh, that is possibly filling Otway's heart and being, uh, which is brought on by the kind of loss that he um, has gone through, uh, which is detrimental and leaves one feeling alone and on their own. Ironically, Otway is stranded in this place with six other men. Uh, If this were in his mind, which could explain the existential nature then the seven men of total uh, could loosely represent the seven stages of grief. Um, however, we also have to think of the wolves. Uh, to support my theory, the wolves uh, seem to be unnaturally intelligent and monstrous. Uh, throughout the film, they act as foils or even shadow creatures of the men uh, they are stalking. We see many parallels, especially in the battle for the alpha role, uh, which we see mirrored between Diaz and Otway. Furthermore, the wolves, one by one, creep in and kill each of the men or push them into fatal situations until it is down to Otway. This could be symbolic of one of two things, depending on how you read the ending, and even the stinger, despite being an annoying add-on. The wolves either represent Otway's will to live returning, or the darkness taking over and pulling away his remaining humanity. 
If the men represent the different stages of grief, then when the wolves destroy them, it slowly moves us through the stages, as well as Awe. Which, the six stages may fall several ways among the men, but one constant remains, and that is Otway represents the seventh stage, and the one typically considered the final stage, and that is acceptance. At the end of the film, he has his words with God. Afterwards, he walks into the wolves' den and accepts his fate. Whether he live or die, he has accepted what is before him and chooses not to look back. The ending is slightly ambiguous at this point as to Otway's fate. We just know that he has acceptance for his fate, and he realizes that he has purpose and control of his life. The Stinger simply adds the idea that he does persevere over darkness and that he is trying to strip him of his humanity. Right. Uh, and then that's assuming... I don't know if he's alive or not himself, though. You know, I know he killed the wolf. Well, they're I, both still alive. It's a question of how long are they alive for. Are either of them alive, yeah. right? Well, they're both breathing. Right. They're both very clearly breathing. It's just a matter of how much longer they will they continue to breathe. death breath thing Yeah, they are saw. they just dying in each other's death arms? Metal. Tonight. Yeah. I, <laughs> thank you, Arthur. So, yeah, but yeah, yeah, no, I I like that that it's a reading. Great reading. It's very interesting. I like mm-hmm. it a lot. Very, very good. I appreciate that much, Mister Dalton Stewart. What reading bring you? There are two things in life um, and in the gray that you cannot escape. Uh, one, we are all on this planet, and unless we choose to be an astronaut, we're pretty much stuck here. Two, we are going to die. Otway says at the beginning of the film, and one of my favorite scenes, shh, what's going to happen is you're going to die. And it's going to slide over you. And he just walks this guy through dying. Otway presumably knows what this feels like because he he was a soldier at some point uh, and knows that this is a good thing because he wants to die. Uh, He knows that this isn't inherently a bad thing. And throughout the film, while facing uh, both the elements... Um, at the same time, these men are forced to face the fact that they are going to die. Uh, and it makes them take a look at what gives their life meaning. Where do they choose to find meaning at? And I think what's important about this film is that no one can give you your meaning. You have to find it yourself. And all of these men find it in different places. Diaz is purely just a refusal to die. He just does not want to die. He jokingly says, I don't want to go out on that last piece of ass. But what I feel, what that comes across to me is just like, I don't want to die until I'm ready to die. And when he's ready to die, he goes ahead and says, okay, well, this is as good as it's ever going to get for me. Mm-hmm. Um, Dermot Maroney's character, whose name I can't recall for the life of me, uh, he wants to make it back home to his daughter. Um, family is a thing that a lot of these men choose to live for. Um, Liam Neeson doesn't have that. Uh, and the lack of family is what's making it so hard for him to find meaning. Uh, what I love about this film is, as Dustin touched on, it is a very cynical film. Uh, but it's cynical in its truth, I think. And that truth is we are going to die. Um, and well, none of every one people does. Yes. So, yeah. You're all going to die. I mean, and if, if you don't find a reason, now that's and that's the question. If we are all going to die, uh, we got 80 years at best give or take a decade or so what's the point what is the point where do you find your meaning Um, and I think this is they lay it on a little thick at a good point in the film about the one third mark maybe the maybe right at the halfway mark when they're sitting around the campfire and they're all talking about God and you know the nature of the universe and then that's the last time they talk about it but it's good to plant that seed make sure that seed is in your head for the rest of the film because it's really important to think about for the rest of the film especially in the gray um, 
and it's just a really fabulous film, and I don't think it ever invalidates where anyone finds their meaning. Uh, the final character who's with Otway, again, I uh, can't remember his character name. He's really wonderful uh, in the short-lived uh, AMC series. Um, Rubicon, who um, the gentleman who dies in the play in the very beginning, uh, was also on that show. Um, but the last guy that is with him uh, you know, talks a lot about his, his religious faith, um, and that gives Otway that very... That, that really wonderful scene where he says, okay, you know, the, the, the lapsed Catholic says, what do you want me to do? Give me something. Fuck it, I'll do it myself. But I don't think that invalidates what that other character experienced. Um, because without him, I don't think Liam Neeson makes it that far. I don't think without each other, any of these men make it that far. And I think they're all of their own meanings that they've brought uh, to the table. And then all their meanings kind of change and shift throughout the film. Uh, I think Otway chooses to live at the start of this film because he doesn't know what else to do. And he finds his meaning in helping these other people make it as far as they can. When they die, he has that moment where he's like, I've lost my purpose again. I don't have these people to take care of. Um, I don't have my wife to take care of, and now I don't have these men to take care of. And he almost gives up. And he says, no, I'm not going to do that. I am going to go once more into the fray because that seems like the right thing to do. Because if I'm going to go out, I want to go up standing, standing up. Um, I, and depressions and mental illness are, are conversations that have been on the table a lot lately in recent events, and I think this is a really poignant film to watch at that time and then to consider what it is that gives your life meaning. Uh, and whatever it is, I think what the gray would say is pursue it, chase it, because uh, it's important. I wish that was the movie we watched. I, That's the movie I watched. Because no, you described something something more like Dead Poet Society. What what it seemed to me was that every... Uh, other, I haven't seen Dead Poet Society, unfortunately. Well, or, 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 I'm familiar-ish with Well, that. City Slickers, or, uh, you know, or The Bucket List, or all those Life is for Living sort of movies. The Life is for Dying. <laughs> yeah. Well, but you and, might as well get busy living. Well, that, that's the thing, though. It seems to me that this film, it, the cynicism of this film, is that everything that anyone else does to try to find meaning is only some sort of opiate. It, it seems to me that uh, Diaz's character is a hedonist, and his hedonism fails. It seems to me that uh, the Dermot Mulroney's character has faith, and faith is not enough. And, and uh, well, he, Mark's, have, he has love for his daughter. The other character has faith. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that, well... Uh, so I, I can't recall what... You're, you know what, you're right. I can't recall what Dermot Mulroney says about it. He talks the least about it, though. Okay. He talks more about his daughter than... That's true. Family. I mean, family, and then Burke talks about family. Yeah. But all those things fail, and they talk about how there's no one... Uh, the, 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 those people are gone. And it seems to be that well, that's think, the worldview that wins, is that all you can do is just keep on slugging it out or die. And yeah. dying seems like that's the end anyway, so you might as well slug. Well, I think I don't... I guess we're taking something different away from it, in that... Yes, I think it's what it's saying, but I think that's beautiful because it is saying the meaning that you choose is relevant and it does have meaning because you chose it. And yes, you are going to die. There is no way around it. No one makes it out of this movie alive. Liam Neeson makes it out of this movie cleansed, but I don't think he makes it out of it alive. Um, But they all chose what was important to them. And they all chose in those final moments to have that. Now, I will say, the character who drowns does not get the most pleasant death. Um, but Diaz, 
and Dermot Mulroney, which we're going to keep calling him, they both have very kind of lovely deaths. Dermot Mulroney kind of goes... He falls out of a tree and suffocates in his own blood? And he gets eaten by wolves. The last thing he's thinking about... (laughs) Is his dog. Well, there, there's and he the, is, yeah. there is peace. A there is a transcendent peace in the death. Um, that the really those two deaths in particular we see. Um, and those are two of the characters we know better than any other character in the film. And I think in the final moments of this film, Liam Neeson does have a very transcendent experience. Uh, and I think that's what it's saying. And I get where you're saying, Dustin, about that cynicism. I, I, I think yes, it is saying you might as well pick something and hit your wagon to it and keep slugging it out. And I think there is something beautiful about that. Well, more because on this, you picked the wagon. More on this anon, but we'll uh, we'll we'll continue on, and we'll go to Miss Bohannon if you have any analysis you'd like to bring. Sure. Um, I just a quick bullet uh, to tack on that. I I really liked your interpretation. It's I kind of have a little bit of a spin on the cynicism of it. So Liam Neeson cries out to God, but what if God? leading him to the wolves den is the answer i mean no one ever really thinks about everyone's like oh i think there's a view of god as someone that's like well either you're saving me or god isn't real there's there is this part of the bible i mean if we're going to go to judeo-christian viewpoint of it which i think is liam neeson's character's background yeah, he, um, he as, a, as an Irish, he specifically <laughs> says he was Irish Catholic. Yeah. yeah. So you, you, everyone always forgets this the the story of Job. I mean, Job has this bucket of just terrible life experience just dumped on his head, and then he gets this, you know, cash out of heaven of like, oh, you were always faithful and you always follow my way. And so maybe it's not so much well because God didn't answer this prayer, he abandoned me. Maybe it was. That was God's will, was leading him to a more imminent death. Because I believe, Stinger included, that he totally dies. And I think that's the only way the movie can really have a resonance and fulfillment for me is if he dies. Um, I do think that he kills the wolf and probably all the wolf friends kill him. But um, that being said, I mean, what other death does he have in store? Nobody has found him. The GPS thing, which could be arguably correlated to, you know, the constant prayers of help me, help me, um, hasn't been, quote, answered, but maybe people aren't looking at it in the correct lens of, well, his other option was definitely starving to death, being eaten by something bigger, or, you know, breaking breaking something and maiming and just going out in a terrible, awful way. But this way he was led to a situation where he got to really go out fighting like his poem and go out with the correct viewpoint in mind. So it's kind of a kind of an intermediate between between the cynicism of, well, there's no God and there is, you know, oh, God exists, but he is just aloof and et cetera. I, I think that there's just a way in between that, um, that God isn't always just going to give you the easy way out. He isn't always just going to auto-zap your prayer answers to you. you got to work for it sometimes. I, I think what's interesting, uh, I, I like I like that a lot, Alex, but I, what I think is interesting is I think that uh, Otway's character definitely believes in God. He believes in the God of Job, and God is real and God is an asshole. Mm. He does not really care about you that much. And yeah. I think that is why he has that final moment where he's like, I'll do it myself. 
Yeah. I can't count on you. Well, I would say it's even, I think it's a stage further than even that. I don't know that it's a Jovian sort of God, because that God at least eventually speaks to Job. I think this is more of the God of Christ on the cross. Oh, yeah. There, there, there's a silence from heaven, and it's a deafening silence. And and the next moment, the next day is Saturday, and nothing happens in a grave. you know. And so I, I think part of what the film seems to be struggling with is that cold silence from heaven. Yeah, uh, that many people experience. Yeah, so and there's no part of the hymn where you know there's the no up from the grave he arose yeah. resounding ballad from the from the gospel choir. It's I mean, you know, the devil may have won at the end of it, and we're just kind of left at it's and it's unsatisfying to the audience, which may be why the why it wasn't received so well with a lot of the popular culture, especially being built as an a traditional action. Yeah, movie. I, I don't know. I the, the end of this film is one of the most uplifting things in the world to me. Uh, and I think wh- whether you choose you choose you know that final, I feel like moment of enlightenment that Otway experiences, whether it's a divinely inspired, um, you know, if it's divinely inspired, then maybe it is a, um, you know, a congratulations. Uh, if you look at it uh, as being totally um, humanist. Uh, I feel like that's kind of what I take away from it. That it is a moment of of him finding his own his own enlightenment, where he's like, you know, this this mattered. I'm not walking out of this valley, but this mattered, and this was important. And I finally better understand uh, my father and my feelings towards my wife's death. Mm-hmm. So, no, but um, I, I yeah, I I like talking about this movie. And I like yeah. the things we've all just said about that. Yeah, and there's a. Um... So it's just so interesting that you can get so many different readings because I have like two different options of alternate readings you could have on at least the last the last scene or you know the deaths of all the characters. Mm-hmm. So one reading that I had from it going back to your extremely cynical point of view is that you have all of these female characters and of course I'm always kind of look, trying to look through a gender lens because it's like okay they're are all of these dudes as main characters, but situationally, no one ever refers to their family life as being, oh, my son, yeah. my my nephew, my... Yep. I mean, besides Liam Neeson and his father, but his is primarily his wife. Yep. You get the you get the sister, the daughter, the girlfriend, the... Hooker. The hooker! Yeah. I mean, you get all these female it's characters. It's all about these men's relationships with women. Yeah. yeah, and so I was looking at that and like, that's a very interesting choice by the screenwriter, director, etc. And I also found it interesting that, so in these last final moments, a lot of the men, as they die, they have these hallucinations or almost like visits from these these people, especially the daughter. It feels like they're all transitioning their, you know, the, these men that love them to the afterlife. They're really these uh, carriers, kind of like the... The, the boat in the afterlife Greek, I just lost the name for a second uh, Charon on yeah. the river sticks Yeah, so it's got these river sticks type moments where they're all transitioning them to the afterlife but if you want to be really cynical about that, you only get that about the men whose significant others, whether they're daughters or wives are uh, still alive, you don't get that with Liam Neeson and his wife which I think is really significant besides the flashback to the the big cincher, the feels puncher, if you will. Um, and that kind of symbolizes to me, it's like, well, um, 
Liam Neeson's wife is really dead. Like, she is not existing anymore. There's not going to be a happy reun- reuniting scene whenever Liam Neeson dies, you know, after the movie's closure. They're never going to reunite again. And that's and that's kind of sad to think about. Um, you know, the fact that you have all of these still alive characters, and if you look at it in that way, the men are just hallucinating to kind of ease the pain. You get that. It's really obvious. And so because Liam Neeson really never gets that with his wife, I feel like that is really the end for him. I take away from that that even if they both went nowhere, at least they went nowhere together. And that was the that was my next reading. So yeah. the, the yeah. <laughs> kind of part B of that really cynical thought is, well, you know, they're, what is next is nothing. Um, is that he kind of finally gets what he got his original intention. I mean, he's pretty much started the movie with a, with a suicide attempt. And I don't know, I haven't seen another movie that begins with a suicide attempt. Yeah. That's a, that's a hell of an opening for a film. Really? I mean, bleak and all get out. So the fact that he's kind of finally getting, he's finally getting an answer and I feel like he's grown a bit as a person and he is accepting the fact that his wife is no longer there and he can't ever see her or hold her or communicate with her ever again. And then he's finally able to be at peace and peace being the kind of eternal slumber that he's never going to wake up from. So they are both just not existing instead of one partner experiencing this almost this hellish pain throughout the rest of their life because I mean have you ever thought of the alternative Liam Neeson going back to the real world after this experience like what kind of Mm -hmm. because this is kind of that moment when people in the military come home and they they have that I've seen some shit kind of point of view and all everything just seems so fake or mundane and and not real like this isn't life or death anymore this isn't like what matters in this? Well, yeah, it's it's even beyond that life and death because they, there is that transcendent spiritual, philosophical wow that he experiences that I think all of them in there experience. They yeah. all experience something very profound. Definitely. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, that's this this movie is just a crazy huge life metaphor, and yeah. it was very very interesting. It's a good movie, guys. You're welcome. Thank you very much, Miss Bohannon. What do you think, Dustin? Well, I, you know, like I said, I like the movie a lot. I'm very much entertained by it. I am ideologically opposed to it. And, and I mean, just, it just doesn't come from where I come from. And the reason why is because this is a recreation of Albert Camus' text, uh, The Myth of Sisyphus. And absolutely, uh, it's, a, it's an idea for idea recreation of the concepts of it. Now, with the myth of Sisyphus, as you know from Greek mythology, Sisyphus was the guy who had to push a rock up a hill, and as he got to the top of the hill, the rock would roll back down the hill. And it was a Sisyphean task, right? You just never, ever get it done. And just the question being begged by Camus is, why go back to the bottom of the hill and keep pushing up the rock? And so what Camus is wrestling with is the idea of the absurd. And uh, the absurd in philosophy is this idea that we tend to, as human beings, to ascribe meaning to life. But when we know more and more of the detail of what life uh, provides us, it, we find out that much of what happens in life is actually meaningless. That, that just crap happens. It's just, as the philosopher says, just one damn thing after another. 
and uh, that there's no real connection. There's no yeah. real narrative. We try to that's kind of fabulous. We try to construct and conceive of narratives to to make it make sense. But in the end, it doesn't. Nothing means anything. Nothing actually matters. No one matters. Nothing matters. And and Camus is being faced with this particular issue, and he comes up with a sort of a trilemma. You know, dilemma's got two options. The trilemma's got three. Turns out, and and the trilemma is uh, first option is suicide, which is discussed in depth. In the film, uh, with, uh, with not in depth, but it's definitely depicted in depth, I guess, with both Otway and also with Diaz, who uh, basically makes his suicidal decision. Then there, the other option is the leap of faith, is to leap towards faith and to give, you know, again, in, in spite of all the evidence to the contrary, life is meaningful because there is something or someone out there. That is going to give those that, that's going to make stuff matter. That things that we do now are going to somehow, as it says in Gladiator, another film very much tied up with the questions of mortality. Is the things that we do here on Earth they echo in eternity? And so that's the leap of faith, which is not necessarily a Christian leap, but it's it's it, it's within all the sort of great religious and spiritual traditions. And of course, Dermot Mulroney, who does speak of faith, does make the leap of faith. Also, the other leaper is another person. Yeah, you're thinking of the other guy. Well, yeah. I, I looked at it again. I looked at the movie twice. I made sure it was, it was Mulroney who talked about well, what about your faith? It gotcha. was Mul- Mulroney. Okay. But the guy that actually makes the big jump was the yes. guy that talked the most. Well, Mulroney about. dies in the leap yes. of faith because the leap of yes. faith for Camus doesn't get you there. Yeah. And he gets it turns the other out, guy there. He well, just dies later. <laughs> he does exactly. It doesn't get him there either. There are these sort of indices of of what's going on with religious con- context. One of the indexes is there's a neon cross, so there's a sort of a. a some sort of chapel has been established there mm-hmm. at the oil rig, and also there is a uh, there is a, the the reference no mass. We were talking about it earlier, and how Neeson um, mispronounces it no mass, and I think it's on purpose. I, I, I think we're making a very very Catholic commentary uh, on that, and also when a Neeson, cry, Neeson cries out to God, and, and the heavens are silent, there's there's no response, and so for for Camus, and I think also for the film. Faith does nothing. I think it doesn't provide anything. We see several of these really, really beautifully shot hallucination, dream, memories that characters experience. But I think they're all framed around a moment where Burke jumps up from the campfire, scares the bejabbers out of me every time I see it, and is just talking to his dead sister. And it is clear that he's just hallucinating. It's just the chemicals in his brain are not firing right. That there is no experience or connection to any of these people that are gone. They're gone. I think Neeson's commentary is the actual worldview of the film. The only thing real is the cold and the air in my lungs. There's nothing else. Nothing else matters. There, there's nothing left. So as Camus is moving through the trilemma, and he begins with suicide as an option, doesn't feel like it's adequate. He moves with a leap of faith and feels like it's completely inadequate. He moves finally to this sort of uh, acceptance or, or recognition is his actual term of it. This, this, is, this is it. This is the life we've got. And, and the way that you can find meaning and you can sort of define meaning within oneself is through revolt, through resistance. And so what Neeson does is he merely resists the wolves because he just doesn't want to let them kill him. And that's that's meaning enough for him. And uh, of course that I think it seems like the film suggests they do kill him, but he doesn't at least let it happen. And, and the, what, what, what the film seems to be suggesting, as Dalton has pointed out, is that one out of every one humans dies, but you just don't want to let it happen. So suicide's not an option. And you don't want to sort of ascribe some sort of a uh, construct of God 
that is a, a meaning maker in the sky. And th- th- there's a whole other conversation that's tied up around that, and I could speak for several hours about it, and I'm not going to do that tonight because I don't think that's the text of the film at all. I don't, I don't think the film is... A, I, I think this is a godless film in, in the sense that there, there is no God in this film. All that there is is the air in your lungs and the cold outside and the, the hard truth that you are going to die. And it is better to not put your faith in platitudes, which I think is the sort of caricature that faith receives in the film, and it is better not to just check out. It's better to go ahead and just keep fighting because at least then you're resisting because what you have now is all you have now. And so, sort of, there's people you love. You should love those people. There's experiences you can have. You should experience those experiences and do as much as you can with them. But in the end, you're going to kick off. And so the film itself is very cynical. There's, there's nothing left. All, all that there is is struggle and that even that connection to family, it doesn't last. If they go on ahead, it doesn't matter. If you go on ahead, it, it, it matters to them. They, they, they retain you somehow in, in their memories, but you yourself are lost, and all is lost in, in this sort of film. So it, it's an existential crisis of a film. And, of course, <clears throat> personally, I mean, I, I think it's absolutely, again, cribbing Camus. It seems to be that's the structure of the narrative, you know, that there are the three things, right, resistance, the leap of faith and suicide and how these things are playing out, the indices of faith that are coming in and out and the you know, repeat and, uh, uh, revisits of the idea of suicide and then finally Neeson's just continual resistance uh, therein or, or rather just uh, recognition which leads to resistance uh, following Camus. The, the, the problem I, I guess I have for it personally is that it doesn't give anything else a fair shake. I mean, frankly, it doesn't give suicide a fair shake. You know, it it doesn't it doesn't really give pain a, a, a fair shake for one thing, which is not something I'm incredibly in favor of, by the way. Uh, but nor, nor does it give faith a fair shake in any sense that we, what we do does matter. That the way we affect other people does uh, have significance, and and there might be more to our experience, and and that it actually it uses transcendence in a way that is really really entertaining. But in the end, I think it's it's sort of it's taking the piss out of it. I think it's, it's just sort of suggesting that that transcendence, that's just synapses firing in your brain. Yeah, and you're going to die, sucker. Too. And that's, that's, that's all you get. And so as, as I reject Camus, I, I also reject sort of the premise of the film. I, because like Dalton, I'm an actual humanist. I think human beings actually matter. And I don't think the film actually suggests that. I see. I think that's pretty wrong. I think that Gray and Camus both think that the struggle is significant and the people that you struggle with are significant. The meaning you choose to subscribe to that, whatever it comes from, the meaning you choose does have significance. I'm pretty sure Camus would not say anything about community. Well, I'm going to go back to the gray then. <laughs> I, I've never read it. I just, based on the tie into the gray, I was kind yeah. of following that. Um, and I, I think that's where you're wrong. I think these men really learn something about themselves by their interactions with each other, particularly Diaz. Um, and, and I think Otway as well. I think these are the two... Diaz learns to be a team player. He, you know, uh, Otway says, where did you pick that up? That you're not scared in the joint? You know, and he's like, oh, don't talk to me about prison, man. And he's like, well, you're here now. Yeah. And he says, you know what? I'm scared. I'm scared shitless. And I think Diaz, through his interaction with Otway, learns that that's okay. And I, 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 I think they all learn something from each other, and I think they all learn something very valuable from each other. I, I would say a lot of the, the fronting and the facades fall forward, but I don't know if anybody grows. I don't think anybody learns anything. I think everybody just dies. 
I think it's a movie about eight guys dying. And I think you're wrong. Well, dear listener, we would love to hear what your verdict is. I would like about to. That. I, I want to put a pin. I want to say one last thing. If you're playing along at home, pop a top. Um, Ernest Hemingway once said, and this is paraphrased at the end of... We don't have a Hemingway rule. This is... Well, it's said at the end of Seven by Morgan Freeman. Uh, and, and I... <laughs> There's... Uh, Ernest Hemingway once said, the world is a fine place and worth fighting for. Uh, and in the film Seven, Morgan Freeman says, the world is a fine place and worth fighting for. I agree with the second part. And I think that uh, it doesn't necessarily mesh totally with the gray, but I think there's a little bit of... Uh, Reflection of each other. I find that comment to be completely antithetical to the gray in every way. I just thought I'd put a pin in this conversation. <laughs> whether or not the struggle mattered, I guess. Dear listener, we would love to hear your view and your reading of this film. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. But let's move on to a time when we must choose. You must choose. But choose wisely. That's right, dear listener. We have to make a verdict. Shell for trash, else or instead. Ernest Hemingway may come up again in this section of the show. I ask you, Miss Alexander Bohan, Shelver Trash, Elserstead, or instead. I knew he was going to pull a bait and switch on me. All right, well, I, I enjoyed the movie a lot. I don't know if I'm going to watch it again. And that's not to say that I didn't enjoy it and that I'm invalidating Dalton's, <laughs> Dalton's host pick because it's a really... It's a good movie. One of the best I've maybe seen this year. But that being said, you're right. It's really cynical. It really weighs on your spirit. I mean, I think I cried probably like at least the rest of that night after watching <laughs> the movie. Um, it's. I think everyone should watch it, should give it a chance. But I don't know if I watch it any time again. So... Trash sounds a little harsh, but I don't expect to watch it anytime soon. So maybe just put it and file it away somewhere. So you're still saying it's a watch. So your 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 next it's suggestions are going to be stream else's, it. not instead. Yeah. So stream it. I guess is my in between answer. Definitely, definitely watch it. Um, and just make some decisions for yourself. I will say for else's. Um, I just felt like the tone of this movie really complimented about every single book ever written by Gary Paulson. Gary Paulson's mm. a young adult author who's famously known for The Hatchet, Brian's Winter, and a whole bunch of other books about guys being stranded places and having to fend for themselves, whether it be on boats or in the Alaskan wilderness. I honestly thought Liam Neeson, everyone was going to like die around him, and it was really going to be a rendition of Hatchet except no moose, like, killing you or trying to drown you in a lake. Um, yeah. Good book. It, 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 good book. <laughs> anyway, um, those are, I think those would all really complement this film. I don't, I'm not familiar if there are any movie versions, but I'm sure they're all not very good. Um, <laughs> the, I guess The Hunger Games would also be an, another parody. Yeah. It's got that survival, gotta make our way, gotta be the biggest dog and kill or be killed kind of a tone. There is some interesting, now that I think about it, some 
interesting corporate commentary about it because Liam at the very very beginning of the movie there's that whole thing about well the corporation has us here the corporation gives no shits if we die you know I kind of was like in a weird fan three it's like what if the corporation crashed the plane because someone knows something really important but that's a I really wanted to give that sort of Marxist reading of the exploitation yeah. <laughs> of these men's bodies. Right. And, and how they give their very bodies for the sake of the company and then yeah. they crash and they're consumed by the. I mean, yeah, but. That, I go saw ahead. that. I saw that too, definitely. It's totally there. Yeah. Um, that So if you want to get another kind of feel for that, The Hunger Games and all of its sequels and movie versions would also complement it, I believe, too. Excellent. Thank you very much, Miss Bohannon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what are your. Well, um... Because I, I already know what you're going to say. Shelf for trash. It's, yeah, it's shelf. Although I will say, this is the first time I've watched this film um, since I checked it out in the cinemas. Uh, that being said, though, I am a notorious not-rewatcher. Um, but I, I think there is something to be gained from a, a rewatch of this film. Uh, I guys like it a lot. Um, obviously, it was my host pick. It was my favorite film of 2012. Although I will say a lot of that was inspired by getting more people to see it. All of this being said, uh, I give it four and a half uh, shotgun shell sticks out of five. <laughs> Those are pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, I was wondering about the science of that, but... Who cares? It's so cool. Yeah. Uh, as far as Elsa's go... Cool applies. Uh, <laughs> indeed. As far as Elsa's go, um, I would say if you're interested in more of the work of, in more of, the work of Joe Carnahan, um, definitely check out NARC which is kind of his breakout film with a Ray Liotta. I just and knew you were going to say the A-Team, and I was going to have to strangle you. Jason Patrick. Uh, no, check out Narc, which is his breakout film. It's a, it's a cop drama. It's a lot like The Grey, though, in that it is a, an old-school, hard-boiled action thriller that uh, has a lot on its mind. And I also wouldn't uh, shy away from Carnahan's other, uh, one of his other films, Smoke and Aces, uh, which is a film I liked a lot when I was 15, 16 years old. Six, 16? 17. 16, 17 years old. Um, it's not very good, um, but it's kind of cool. Uh, it's got a lot of rule of cool in it, and it's got a lot of fun characters saying fun stuff, and uh, it's got Chris Pine in it before he was famous. Um, check it out. It's it's worth looking at. Um, it's very violent, and that's actually a cynical. That is a very cynical film, I think. Um, but it's fun. Um, if you want more of Liam Neeson, you know people. A lot of people have not seen Schindler's List because they know it's what a three-hour-long film about the Holocaust. Yeah, there's a lot of people that haven't seen Schindler's List. That's too bad. But, I mean, Liam Neeson is so good in it. So if you want to see what the big hoopaloo is with Liam Neeson, why he's been so famous for so long, check that out. Because, man, he's good in that movie. And, you know, Taken's fun. He has a lot of movies about relatives being kidnapped and taken away from him. I feel like there's... Two of them, at least. I mean, I saw a trailer just the other day, and it wasn't the Taking Three, which I heard is actually going to happen. Bless. Um, no, it was just like <laughs> I definitely saw someone's family member being wrestled away from Liam Neeson, and he's just like, "Oh, I'm coming," kind of. A- I can only think of the two Taken <laughs> films. Listener, how many films does Liam Neeson have someone taken from him in? <laughs> Tell us, please. I need to know. This next part's very important. They're going to be taken by the. Um, <laughs> Liam Neeson has the worst American accent in the world because uh, he still sounds very Irish. It's just like he's growling harder. He's always growling and he's always Irish. It's just if he growls more, he sounds less Irish. I love Liam Neeson so much. Yeah. Uh, his accent in uh, Schindler's List is perfectly fine, though, which is interesting. 
Um, finally, uh, I would say check out another film we watched on this show. That's Into the Wild. Uh, another film about a man trying to find himself in Alaska. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Mr. Arthur Gordon. What say you? <laughs> it's shelfable. Put it on the shelf. I like it. It's in my wheelhouse for sure. It's, it's a good thriller. It's thoughtful. I like it. Um, I say you watch this with Ghost in the Darkness, Michael Douglas, Val Kilmer, early nice 90s. Nice pick. And I say you watch Taken, again, because it's fun. I also say well, Into the Wild, because, yeah, and in Bruges. Back in Bruges. Back in Bruges. And <laughs> yeah, there are worse places to die. And then yeah. Bruges is maybe one of them. <laughs> I, think, I, I don't know. I think Wolf Den in Alaska is worse than Bruges. <laughs> For sure. I, we'll have to talk to the McDonald brothers about that and see what they say. <laughs> Thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. I also want to mention Into the Wild as an else, because I do think it's a shelfable film. I think it is a high-level action film. It is one of those art film elevation, like like Drive did with a, a great many 80s tropes. Mm-hmm. This film seems to be a, a big elevation. And honestly, if Liam Neeson hadn't made the Taken movies and really, really reinvigorated his career, uh, I, I think this would have been exclusively sort of an art house level uh, sort of film, and so I, I really do like it a lot. Although I have um, philosophical and you know other questions, but the thing is, is, I think the conversation that it engenders is valuable. So you should definitely, definitely watch it. I think speaking of Ernest Hemingway, you should watch The Killers, written based on a short story by Ernest Hemingway, directed by Robert C. Adamack. and it, it is the forties version or the sixties version. The forties version. Okay, but it, it's a great film about a person who is sick of picking, pushing the rock up the hill, and gives up at the beginning of the movie. And you hear the whole story of how he gave up. It's, it's sort of the Citizen Kane of film noirs, where this uh, insurance investigator investigates the life of this uh, person who was killed and had a uh, life insurance policy taken out uh, for some random, seemingly random person. I think also a life insurance policy is never random in a noir. No, no, it is not. Or just ever. <laughs> I've already mentioned Into the Wild, as you guys have, and I think it's absolutely something you should pair. My third film of recommendation is Gravity, which is oh, the same sort yeah. of idea yeah. without the cynicism. Also, because it sort of embraces a worldview that more aligns with my own in that there is something more, there is something meaningful, there is something that lasts, that George Clooney is going on, and then we'll see a little girl in pigtails, and that she prays to the saints as she makes her way down, and there's guidance given, and uh, sure, she does it all herself, which I think that's kind of where the parallel lies, in that Neeson thinks doing it himself means there's no help, and Sandra Bullock's character seems to suggest that doing it yourself means there's help. And that's, I think that's the end that you could read either I'm way. Well, and I, and I think I think your wheelhouse, your, your mileage may vary with both. Uh, some people might find the gray too cynical, and some people might find gravity too kitschy. I'm not one of those people. Um, I think it's a really lovely film, uh, and a one I like a great deal. Um, but again, I think with both films, your mileage may vary. I do think that's a fascinating pairing, though. That's yes. a great pairing. A, a back-to-back a of those two. Would fabulous be pairing. A good day. One is a the, really good conversation. One is the hardest of hardest nature, and one is the uh, cerebral, surrealist, most floatiest of lightest of nature. Well, it's the same thing, though. Life is impossible yes. in space, right? I mean, that's yeah. how it begins. You're supposed to die here. Alaska in space. And, and, Nothing good ever came from either of these places. Mm-hmm. And, except for the... But we all want to go to them. For some reason, yes. That, that There's a strange fascination. Mm-hmm. Moving right along. Thank you so much, guys. 
I want the dear listener to be able to be part of this conversation, to suggest pairings, to be able to react to um, some of our disagreements and some of our agreements and our analyses. And that only can happen through that magical means we all know as social media. Mr. Arthur Gordon, you know anything about that stuff? Uh, first and foremost, you can find us on uh, Gmail. You can email us. Gmail, uh, uh, you can email us, uh, goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. Secondly, you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash goodtrashgenrecast. We do have one uh, comment chiming in on the Han versus Luke debate, and it's Han. Who, it's who, always Han. Who was it? It was Ashley Mercer, and she says Han between the two. Well, one nothing Han. I guess the polls are closed. He's still winning. That's just silly. Vote, well, dear listener, vote. Well, three Han, Luke nothing if you count Arthur. Well, Sorry, am I nothing? Three, three to one. Three to one if you count Arthur. Am I nothing now? I said three to one. My feelings Hey, hurt. you weren't here last week, Alex. Luke Skywalker, Han Solo. Han. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Take, 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 the, take the man crush out. Okay, character you sorry, want. Sorry, I'm so sorry. It's just Harrison Ford. I, I know, no, no, no. I, just, <laughs> I know, I know. I just gotta let it go. See, I, I see right go. through Alex on this one. <laughs> okay. Would you rather try, be? Okay, look, I'm trying to list in my mind now. Please. Space smuggler with a rug for a first pilot, or Jedi with a lightsaber who's going to okay. save the world. Space cowboy. But yeah. okay, what is the question though? Is it who is better? Who would you rather be? Who is cooler? Who would I rather be? Oh, now, now that's different. Who would I rather be and who's cooler is a different question. What was the that question is, precisely? You know what? Who would I, rather be? I, I think it's a question I'd rather be. It was yeah. a rather be question, yeah. it seems. Yeah, okay, because that fair. does change my question. Who's cooler? Han Solo. Who would I rather be? Uh, Luke, because I'm basically Harry Potter in this. I don't want to be the chosen one. Yeah. Han. Who wouldn't want yeah. to be the chosen one? I am the chosen one. I'm I don't like responsibility. Han. I, I have no time for uh, hokey religions and uh, ancient weapons. But you get magic powers, practically. Yeah, being a Jedi. Space Je- magic I'm, powers. I'm kidding. Being a Jedi is the raddest I also of the wouldn't rad. want to be Harry Potter. And Yeah, I wouldn't either. And every Star Wars video game ever I, where you choose what you're going to be, I choose Jedi. Every time. Yeah, because you're crazy if you don't. Yeah, I just So you just undid your vote. Swagger for so, miles. So though. you just no, voted for Luke. No, I still want to be Han Solo. I just wish he also had a lightsaber. Well, dear listener, we'd love to hear more feedback because I don't think one vote from the GTGC nation is enough. No. And so I would like to hear a little bit more from that. Is there any more feedback coming in from the Facey Facebook? There is not. The Facey. Well, that's unfortunate. We'll move right along to another means of magical social media. Do you know anything about that, Mr. Dalton Stewart? Once more into the internet. Until the last good comments war I'll ever know. Live and tweet on this day. Live and tweet on this day. I can't tell you how much that hurt me. Because <laughs> I love that. That refrain is so moving and so beautiful. But I had to do it, listener. I know what's expected of me. And I know who I am. Ladies and gentlemen, we can be found on Twitter at good underscore trash. Hey, Dalton. Is there any feedback coming in from the Twitsy Twitter? There is. Um... Not as many retweets. You know, I always say a myriad of retweets and favorites. That's not... I'm not bullshitting you. That There actually is a lot. 
we got some this week, not a lot. Um, Caleb Vesley strikes again. He says he uh, really uh, enjoyed, he said, great job on the Robin Williams in memoriam. Very classy. Uh, Dustin had him in tears. Let's celebrate his career in life. Dustin had like us everyone all in, in tears. tears. Dustin did a very clever bit of editing because he had himself in tears as well. So don't let him <laughs> fool you. He's a big softy. Uh, sorry about that, y'all. Um, I also mentioned uh, Boyhood on uh, the Twitter account this week, and, and uh, Caleb Masters said, True story. I, I mentioned how good it was. And he said, True story. Perhaps the best film I've seen so far this year. There's nothing else out there like it. Uh, we also are now being followed. Uh, by another podcast. I believe one of the hosts is located here in uh, Oklahoma's. Yes, one of them is located here in the Oklahoma's. They both are, actually. And that is Picture Shows and Petticoats. It's a show about costume dramas. So, uh, thanks for that. That sounds great. I know, right? I love being followed by other podcasts. Everybody listen to Picture Shows and Petticoats. Sounds like Right now. I've never heard an episode... But, but I, I have a soft spot. You can't go wrong. You can't go wrong. That title alone makes it worth watching. We, we need that niche to. podcast for movies out there. So thank you guys for doing that, and thank you for the follow. We also got three new, f- other than the the Petticoats and Podcast. Petty, picture Shows and Petticoats? Picture Shows and Petticoats. Uh, we have three other new followers, the most exciting of which is Kurt Gortney, who you can hear on uh, the uh, local NPR affiliate. Uh, KGOU, which is really kind of cool. That is kind of cool. Yeah, I followed him first, but uh, he followed us back, and that was nice. Uh, finally, Supreme Cole <laughs> tweeted at us and Nick Sanford uh, a picture captioned by him, a not an accurate baby picture of at Nick Sanford. It is a baby in a bassinet full of $20 bills surrounded by VHS copies of Jurassic Park. It's kind of funny. <laughs> it's the funniest thing I've ever seen. It, he's not wrong. And that is all we have coming in from the Twitter. One more time, listener, if you want to hit us with some feedback, uh, either on this show or your thoughts on what we'll be discussing next week, if you want to get something in for us to read uh, while we're talking about it, uh, we are located on Twitter at good underscore trash. Excellent. Thank you very much. Um, Miss Alexandra Bohannon, do you know things about the social media explosion that is the good trash genre cast? I do, actually. Here it is! So we have a new iTunes review. We love it when you, dear listener, give us iTunes reviews. And we love when they're great, but we'll take them when they're bad. And I'm just watching Dalton take a selfie for no apparent reason. I Snapchat during the show sometimes, guys. Get over it. Alright. It happens. So our latest review is from Cormark88. Um, Sophisticated film junkies. Aural love. Good trash genre cast is simply amazing. The wonderful hosts deliver both entertaining and intelligent analysis of films that you generally don't listen, don't discuss in film class. I especially love listening to Alexandra and Arthur. You're welcome. As they both have fine grasps on the deep, nearly hidden relationships in film and fantastic repartee when glancing over their philosophy-tinted glasses. If you're a film critic with a taste for the less Oscar-worthy flicks, this is the best way you can enjoy a bottle your chosen libation. <clears throat> well, I appreciate that review very I much. I do, too. And I, I would much rather listen to Arthur and Alex. Oh, oh I was just going to ask you if you felt left out. I think you guys are the best. I have a perfect radio voice. 
Dalton gets enough love listening to himself, so it's okay. There is that. <laughs> Not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> There's a joke in there somewhere, but I'm not going to say it. It's all great. Thank you so much for that review. <laughs> of course, you can also find us at goodtrashundercast.tumblr.com. Uh, that hasn't happened much lately, but it might happen more soon. Dustin's kind of a slacker. There is that. Um, I have things. Moving right along. Guys, it's time to play the game. It's time to play the game. So in this show that we watch today, we see Liam Neeson fight wolves. In fact, we see Liam Neeson become a wolf. I don't know if you guys picked up on that, but he made the little joke about becoming a wolf man. Mm-hmm. And then they began to like mirror behaviors of the wolves. And, yep. the, yep. and you know, when the alpha was attacked and immediately following Diaz attacks mm-hmm. Neeson and... You and, are going to cut that shit out. <laughs> all of that sort of occurs and it sort of works in yeah. parallel. But what we want to do for this week's game, this week's game we're going to call Animals We'd Like to See Liam Neeson Fight. That's right. Animals we'd like to see Liam Neeson fight. Brought to you by The Gray. The Gray. Feeling shitty about life? Watch The Gray. You'll feel worse. That is not incorrect. Well, we're going to move right along and uh, give some picks. And I am hoping for some inspiration, guys, because the well's a little dry right now. So I'm going to go with Mr. Arthur Gordon first. Okay. And uh, ask you, what are your picks? What would you like to see Liam Neeson fight? As a callback to my shelf option, I would say take on the Great Lions. Yeah, the, the Ghost in the Dark. I'm not kidding. That's replacing my, Michael Douglas. That's one of my picks too. Yeah, easily. yeah. No, fuck that. Replace Michael Douglas and, and Val Kilmer. Yeah, <laughs> with Neeson. Liam Neeson and like Liam, forty lions. Just Liam Neeson, Emily Mortimer, <laughs> and forty lions. <laughs> just down the road. Boom, 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 boom. I like it. Uh, I would also like to see him take on the most dangerous game. In a modern adaptation of Richard Connell's short story. I like that. And Good finally, time. I want to see him take on the Velociraptors the in Jurassic Park. <laughs> Obviously. I want clever to see him girl. say, clever girl, and then tape some Triceratops crap to his hands and go to fisticuffs with them. Those are my picks. Screw Excellent. Wow. That's, Thank you that's, so much. That's, that's the difference. As Muldoon looks and says, Girl. And then his mouth, and he goes, clever girl. And then, like, opens its jaws up, like in Godzilla. <laughs> That's fantastic. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what are your picks? Um, well, Arthur stole my two picks, uh, two of my picks. Turns rather, out there aren't a lot. Um, although, I want to see Liam Neeson versus apes, as in the planet of the apes. <laughs> All of them. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's the original film. <laughs> But with Liam Neeson and Chuck Heston. <laughs> Press I'd play. It. I'd watch it. Go. I'm in. Uh, the only other thing, this is just coming off the top of my head, Liam Neeson versus bats, more specifically vampires, because Liam Neeson should have played Abraham Van Helsing by now. Yes, he should have. I agree totally. And other than that, I got nothing, because Arthur stole my damn picks. Outstanding miss. Alexander Bohannon, what are your picks? Well, I'm surprised no one said this. Maybe someone said that in the group text message, but why not see, watch Liam Neeson punch a shark in Jaws? Just like... <laughs> Throat punch. I just want to see him. <laughs> in the gills. That's my pick! Oh, no! Okay, in the we can, gills. We can... No, no, do it. Do it. Go. Okay. All right, I have well... a caveat to add on. Okay, well, good. I'm glad he has stuff to add on. 
And then I would also like to see Liam Neeson as the only human in Alien versus Predator and see what happens. <laughs> Just see what happens. Alien versus Predator. Are you reading my Liam mail? Neeson. Oh, it's not yours too. <laughs> oh no. Are you a kid? I have nothing to add to Alien oh, Predator. No. That's that. I thought I love that pick because I'd like to see that. I would like to say about Jaws specifically that yes. I would like to see the remake of Jaws. I don't want to see the remake of Jaws, but they're going to do it anyway. And when they do, I want to see Liam Neeson play Quint. Yay. And not die. And basically, when the shark tries to bite him in half, he, like, uses his legs to Godzilla yeah. the mouth. The yeah, point. he just pistol whips in the face. <laughs> like, he does all of Europe. <laughs> this next part's very important. I'm going to strap a you, car battery to Jaws. Climb inside the shark cage. <laughs> you're going to be shark. Oh. <laughs> well, guys, that was a lot of good times. Dear listener... What animals would you like to see? <laughs> I can't even believe it's the game. I got one more. I got one more. The giant eagles from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Cujo, anybody? Cujo? Oh, that one's great. They, just, they sit in the car the whole oh, time. Oh, shit. Hooch from Turner and Hooch. <laughs> I thought Lassie and Liam Neeson, versus, Liam Neeson versus Turner and Hooch. We're, we're, we're taking the gold from your mouths, dear listener. So we're going to go ahead and put the kibosh on the game right now. But, dear listener, we would love to hear all of your suggestions of animals you would like to see Liam Neeson it's find. It's so much fun to say. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> It sounds like a bad fox special. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it's a good game, and it, we're having a lot of fun the with it. The giant chicken family guy. All right, I'm done. What about Piranha from Piranha 2 in 3D? Oh, man. Sorry. So, we're going to move right along, though, and end the show as we always do with what's got us fired up this week in popular culture. Mr. Donald Stewart, are you fired up? Uh, a little bit. Uh, you might remember a listener a couple, a month or two ago. Um... I guess three now. Uh, whatever. I was excited about the Tom Cruise vehicle, Edge of Tomorrow. And talked several times on the show about how stupid that title was. Well, it turns out the studio realized they were wrong because in the most shocking plot twist ever, a major studio has changed a major the name of a major release of theirs. It is now on iTunes titled Live, Die, Repeat, colon, Edge of Tomorrow. And I think uh, elsewhere it is just lived, I repeat. You won. I did. I was right all along. They had that better title staring at them as <laughs> the, the tagline. Time. I just don't get That's it. That's crazy. I know. Isn't it interesting? Wow. That's never happened before. As far as I know. I still want to watch it. Oh, they, 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 uh, there's a history of films being retitled. Oh, films yeah. get retitled before they get released all the time. No, no, post-release. Ace in the Hole was retitled after release. Yeah. It was originally like the Big Ten or Big Circus or something. I can't, I can't n- name... It like, happened a lot more in the 40s. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Like, recently, like, in a big movie like this. No, this, this is probably the first time yeah, in, like in films, probably recent Films memory. get retitled, uh, you know, it's on the festival circuit, and ooh, this looks good. And then it gets picked up, and they go, we, we got to work on that title. Um, this, this is crazy to me. Uh, I still don't think it's going to work. Um, I don't know why people didn't go out and see this movie, because it's great. Uh, what you've heard is true. It is Groundhog's Day, but with Tom Cruise and guns. Uh, because it's a dark comedy that's also a sci-fi action blockbuster. But uh, I liked it a lot, and now that it's coming out on uh, home media, I recommend you check it out. It's worth your time. Nextly, this is something I'm fired up about, that Dustin will probably be fired up about. There was a demo <laughs> released on uh, the PlayStation Network, and I think it might have been on uh, Xbox Live as well. It was a free demo. 
um, called PT. Uh, and I'm actually going to give credit to Brigham Cole uh, for giving me a heads up about this. Uh, Mikhail Masters has played this as well, and he had a similar. It is terrifying, absolutely horrifying and upsetting. Well, if you beat the game and figure out all of its puzzles and clues in this, I mean, it takes you, if you know what you're doing, you can do it in about 15 minutes. Uh, that being said, it's so horrifying, it'll probably take you the better part of two hours, even if you, like, have a walkthrough in front of you, because it's so damn upsetting. Yes, confirmed. When you find all of these things out, you learn that PT stands for Playable Teaser for Silent Hills from the, the great game designer Hideo Kojima, who's famous for the Metal Gear Solid franchise, and also, in some capacity, Guillermo del Toro, starring Norman Reedus of The Walking Dead and Boondock Saints. Oh, yeah? Yeah. yeah. It's, that it's awesome? a, just a mashup of things nerds like. Yeah. Just, just <laughs> yeah. They're going, in the face. Who are you calling a nerd? No, like, I'm saying that in the most positive communal sense. Yeah. I'm going to raise my hand first up on that <laughs> phone, probably. Hey, hey, guys, we're doing a podcast about movies. So yeah, they're, they're not uh, good movies. No. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, maybe uh, be less defensive. Yes, it was scary. Oh, it's very, And very scary. Dalton told me that if I could watch him play that trailer and that teaser, then I could handle anything in Shocktober, because I'm just, like, gearing so, yeah, myself it was, uh, for it. Yeah, it was Frank's work. She needs it. Fair she needs it. <laughs> yeah, this, this is fair. Sure. Very good. Um, finally, um, they posted a Netflix Dust till Dawn, from Dusk Till Dawn, the series. It's pretty good. It's uh, I like it. It's fun. It's not as good as the movie, but uh, who thought it would be? Um, I think it does a cute job of expanding on the mythology and um, you know doing taking a, a film you like a whole lot and uh, saying, hey, what if this hour and a half long movie was ten hours long? Mm-hmm. So you know, check it out. It's fun. Uh, the guy they got to play. Uh, George Clooney does a really good job of playing George Clooney. Well, that's good. We need that. Yeah. The guy that they got to play Tarantino does not do a very good job of playing Tarantino. But they he, couldn't have got he does a good performance either way. The Tarantino or Clooney to play themselves? I don't think I don't had think any that interest. Tarantino's too cool for school, and George Clooney's also too cool for school. There is yeah. that. And they're also not going to do a TV show. Well. Yeah, they, they got some no-names. but uh, well, Except for Robert Patrick. Who will do literally anything. You okay? Fine. Say, that's a nice bike. And that's that's all I'm thinking about this week in pop culture. Well, thanks so much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Miss Alexander Bohannon, are you fired up this week? Um, I'm mildly fired uh, for two reasons, especially today. Today is my birthday, and so I'm so excited about that, obviously. Um, my dad, out of the goodness of his heart, gave me a new computer monitor that is really, really, really big. So, um, and now I can watch movies... And with more enjoyment in the future. So that'll help with my pop culture consumption. Um, generally, my fired upness about most pop culture is kind of on the down low. I feel like I'm a little bit of a dry spell. I'm gearing up for Downton Abbey being released in, in January. It's, it's a long way out, but they keep on dropping like articles and pictures like daily. I was thinking motion pictures and petticoats is for you, sir. Probably. Picture shows. Yeah. Picture shows. Picture shows and petticoats. Yeah. That's the first thing I thought of when I was like, oh, costume drop it down. 
not naughty. Um, and then, of course, if anyone noticed, there was the like water bottle gate on the on Facebook. Okay, basically, Downton Abbey took all of these period costumed photos of, you know, various characters. They took one of um, the Earl of Downton um, and one of the daughters, but they forgot. They left a plastic water bottle. Hilarious. And this is released, like, while This is an actual, like, promo still. Yeah, like, no one caught it. Hiding in the background. Yeah, just a water bottle next to this huge urn. And it's just everyone's in period dress. And then it's, like, branded and all that. That's awesome. And then, of course, the Downton cast, like, they all take selfies with water bottles after that. And it became, like, a a silly social media thing. It's fun. Yeah, it was fun. And then I got tagged in the ice bucket challenge, and so I did that. I'm sure most of you... I have been victim of the Ice Bucket Challenge yeah. as well. I haven't, because people know I'm an asshole. But uh, I will say this, that Ice Bucket Challenge really makes me feel warm and fuzzy and good about things. It's nice to know that uh, famous people are human beings. Mm-hmm. They are, in fact, people. Uh, and they have senses of humor, and they're also very generous and uh, very happy to speak out for a good cause. Yeah, yeah. Mr. Arthur Gordon, are you fired up this week? Uh, not really. There is one little thing. I saw the teaseriest of teaser trailers for The Hateful Eight from Quentin Tarantino. <gasps> There's a teaser trailer? Ex- yes. How teasy is it? Teasy, teasy. No it's footage? Comple- it's completely animated, and it just names all the characters. All oh. eight of the characters. It's just teasery, teasery. Super teasery. Okay. Yeah. Was that slated next year? I think so. Okay. Inglorious 70mm. Inglorious. That's what it says in the... Uh, Trailer. That's good stuff. That's cool. Yeah, that's probably the first seventy millimeter release in a long time. I just remembered something I'm fired up about. <laughs> <Yeah>. Sorry, <laughs> um, it just happened. It happened the week I was gone, so I couldn't talk about it last week, and I just remembered. Recently, there was a trailer that dropped for the Billy Crudup movie Rudderless, which, if you, those of you who may or may not be aware, was filmed all in Oklahoma. It's a it's an Oklahoma feature. Um, William Macy directed it. Oh, I was aware. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, they've just released the trailer. Selena Gomez and I can't really remember the rest of the cast, but um, I. It's really fun watching the movie and seeing locations such as University of Central Oklahoma, um, this garage apartment across the street from my house, a bar in the Paseo, like. Like Hefner, it's kind of a fun sightseeing tour, so I recommend you guys watching the trailer and oh, then wait, going yeah, to see I the movie. Yeah, I know about this movie. Yeah. yeah, I think I have a friend that was an extra in it. Probably yeah. a yeah. lot of people <laughs> were. Yeah, that's cool. Yep. Outstanding. Dustin sells. What's got you fired up this week in popular things? What's well, not, there, there's not a ton going on. I'll, I'll say one thing that's very personal. Is that Labor Day uh, weekend? I don't know if I want to hear personal things. Labor Day weekend is coming up. I'm gonna say them anyway. And I get to go fishing for four days Aww. on a boat with my family and two of my nephews. Good times will be had by all, and I'm very, very excited about that. So fishing is the thing I'm excited about in pop culture. <laughs> somehow it ties to Alaska and the gray because it's outside. The deadliest catch. I'll be a little warmer. Liam Neeson versus fish. <laughs> oh, we already got the We promise. already did that. Never mind. Dustin versus fish. Oh, yeah, I'll probably lose. Uh, <laughs> if he crab, he could get a guest spot on can the Deadly's Catch. Can you do me a favor? While you're fishing, grab your son and say, Hide under the dock. This next part's very important. <laughs> They're going to be fish. <laughs> the bass are going to take you. 
The other thing I'm really fired up about, I've been catching up on some films I haven't seen in a while, and uh, one of them that I'd seen before that I really I'd only seen once was Touch of Evil, Orson Welles' last major studio picture, and uh, I got a hold of the re-edit that is more according to Mr. Welles' dictates, and it's, it's a revelation. I, I really can't speak strongly enough about it. It's, it's really kind of fantastic. And uh, so I, I think Touch of Evil, everyone needs to go out and watch it right now. If you like film noir at all, if you like movies at all, if you like Orson Welles at all, if, if you like life and breathing, I think you're probably in the target audience for a movie like Touch of Evil. That's and Janet Lee's in it. And Charlton Heston. And Orson Welles. I mean, what more do you want? Good times will be had by all in a film noir. Uh, lastly, in, 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 the, in lieu of podcasts and recommendations, there's a podcast now defunct, but all their stuff is still available via the iTunes. It is the Out of the Past Film Noir podcast, and it's a breakdown analysis show of just films noir. It's really Films amazing. noir? Well, yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. You can't blacks. I mean, you wouldn't, you wouldn't pluralize the adjective. You'd pluralize the I feel like film noir is the, the, the noun. Thing though, like it, it, it ceased to have a relationship to the actual grammar from which it's from. Well, I mean, it's obviously French and not English, yeah. so there's that. Hey, notice we're talking a lot about film noir, and nobody's excited about uh, Sin City too. That's too bad. Yeah, no, come on, me out too. But uh, it's really great. It's really insightful analysis. A couple of uh, film scholars and, and university professors just talk about uh, all the film noir, and which includes things like Batman Begins. And Blade Runner, so they're kind of all over the place, and so they're talking about those are both more those are both film wars in a very expanded sort of canon, and so that's kind of exciting. So I'm very fired about that. I enjoy it very much, and I'm very excited about all the things that my dear co-hosts, and I do mean dear uh, co-hosts, are fired up about this week. Now, dear listener, we it have begins. We have an announcement. You know, we, we we've heard your comments. We've seen your hits and your plays. We know what you want. And, dear listener, we're the kind of host that give it to you. We're going to give it to you. And we know that... <laughs> that's right. We know that last October was our biggest month and following month ever. And we know you guys seem to like scary movies. And because of that... We are going to expand Shocktober to not just one month, but two months. Two times the terror. So the entire months of September and October will be Shocktober, with the one exception of our Good Trash Do Cinema spinoff show, which will still be 12 Angry Men. So if, if there's nothing for you, at least there's one thing there uh, for you to take a listen to. There will be nine weeks of Shocktober. That's right, nine scary movies coming right up at you. And even one of our Good Trash to Cinema picks shall also be scary. Good times will be had by all. It'll be scary times. We'll be all working our greatest Boris Karloff and Vincent Price impersonations. I'm sure... Spooky spiders. Yes. For all your delectation and delight. But dear Lester... Next week, we, we begin Shocktober with... It's John Carpenter's The Thing, which is one of my very, 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 very favorite horror films. Uh, I'm excited. I don't know about you guys. I'm pumped. Which is also probably an excellent pair with The Grey. But... Yeah, no kidding. Moving on. Guys, this is our third annual Shocktober. We've been doing this long enough to have, had, have done something three times. I have to say, dear listener... 
I'm not a horror movie watcher. And I'm going to expand my horizons with you. So those who, those amongst you who are scaredy cats, those amongst you who are weak soul people, like myself admittedly, be, join me on this quest, please. Take, give me your hand if we be friends so we can make it through as Shocktober ends, please. She needs a hand to hold. Wake me up when Shocktober ends. <laughs> aye, aye, Captain. Alrighty, dear listener, so there you have it. Shocktober. Now you have the information. Dear listener, I think if anything else, we learned this. That when we look at just popcorn <clears throat> films, they are more than just popcorn. That even when it's just good trash and not great art, as Pauline Kael so eloquently said, there's something worthwhile to be found in there because there's a conversation about life. Why life matters, what makes life matter, and what connections are truly, truly valuable, and how can we live in a more human sort of way. And that's why we do what we do with the janky, junky, popcorny stuff that we do, even when it's something that's really, really well made, like The Grey. And so, dear listener, with that in mind, catch a movie, have a bucket of popcorn, a big soda, and a great conversation thereafter. And until then... And they, silly. they fly shooting a tank. There's something wrong yeah, with it. Yeah, the rule of cool. We just talked about that. <laughs> I love it when a plan comes together. Thank you. I hate it when people say shit like, they fly and turn dumb. It's a fucking movie. It's not a documentary, <laughs> dipshit. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, 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 your point. No, your point is, I, I, will, I will contest your point. You can't fly a plane. Now, if they want to contest the science of wolves and their behavior for the gray, that's when I say go jump in a lake. Yes. Because that's stupid. The movie's not about wolves, dum-dum. It's not. You know, I saw a lot of I saw a lot of negative reviews about this film because they thought the wolves were acting unrealistically. That's dumb. It's but, not about but that's wolves. Not the, that's not the quibble I was making with the A-team, however. It's stupid to fly a tank by shooting it. That's the rule of cool. Right. And it applies. <laughs> um, it's the A-team's... It's, it's shallow and, man, it's fine.